Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download it right now onto your phone and use promo code DNVR when you do, especially because March Madness is here this weekend, and uh, it's one of the best. If, if you're into sports gambling, it's one of the best weekends for sports gambling. There's just so many games, so much going on. Uh, I'm joined, obviously, I'm Adam Matas, and I'm joined, obviously, by my co-host and star of the show, Coach George Carl. Coach, it's good to see you, and it's good to be talking. I, I said this last show, and the Nuggets were on a bit of an uptick, but, you know, the Nuggets, um, they, they're they 4-1 and one since we last spoke, and I think playing some of their best basketball. So I'm excited to talk to you, because I think it's always more fun when you talk about some of the good things that are going on. Do you feel the same way, that the Nuggets, <coughs> over this last couple-week stretch, have been playing their best basketball this season? I think they're on an uptick. I'm not saying best. Um, you know, I think they've caught some teams that aren't very good playing poor basketball. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I know they lost the, and they beat Indiana twice and Charlotte. And I think both those teams are on a, I mean, aren't on at a high level in my list of teams. Right. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to find quality yeah. in their performance rather than playing well in their performance. Okay. I think, I think they have played well. Um, you know, it's just, I think the thing that lingers with my mind is I, I get a feeling they're doing the same thing they've done in the last three years. You know, I don't know who they like. You know, do they like Barton? Oh, a month ago, yeah. it looked like I didn't like Martin. <laughs> yeah. Do they like Harris? Right. I don't know. Do you know? I don't. Do they like, do they like Monte Morris or Fosu? Do you know? I don't mm. know. Uh, do they like Porter? Do they like Millsap? Do they like Green? Uh, do you know? I don't know. I mean, I think and they well, like I'm Porter. Sorry, I think that one is clear. And the thing that I want you to, that I worry about that, and this is where I get my problem with management. Management doesn't understand that if I don't know, there are players in that locker room that don't know either. Mm. And there are clicks in locker rooms. I mean, yeah. there's, there's makeups. I don't know who's the best friend of this guy. I don't know any of that. But I think all this uncertainty and the energy of uncertainty doesn't build confidence it builds uncertainty the more uncertainty you have the more uncertainty you're going to get we and i would rather i would rather have a better personality you know is gary harris coming back this week i don't know <laughs> if he comes back is he going to play i don't know right do they like those here more than morris do they like morris more than fosu or fosu is the best i don't know and they've done this for four fucking years. <laughs> they do the same thing. And it doesn't build championship mentality. So, you know, one of the things that's happening right now is Monte Morris is injured. Gary Harris is injured. And to your point, there's a little more clarity because right now they're the everybody that's a healthy gets to play. But I think the flip side, if I was to play devil's advocate with what you're saying here, the flip side would be if you didn't have this many talented players that – Maybe, you know, you go into this, uh, 
you know, you, you get a couple guys that get injured and all of a sudden you have, you don't have a reliable guy to play. In other words, you can make the argument that there's no such thing as too many good players, but you seem to think that's not the case. You don't, you don't seem to think that Monte and Gary going down and Faku and uh, Dozier stepping up, you know, maybe that you're more concerned about the uncertainty that would bring when everybody's healthy, it seems. Uncertainty does not breed confidence. Uncertainty opens up windows of opportunity. Mm. Uncertainty opens up, you know, the, the ability to dozier plan well. But if that, that, that opportunity is taken away from them, that uncertainty becomes anger and frustration. And I, my thing in coaching a team is keep the negative energy under control. Yeah. Over 82 games or 72 games, there's negative energy that comes in, losing streaks, injuries, a bad loss, a bad performance. There are all types of negative energy. But when the way you rotate your priorities constantly in a season, I think it breeds uncertainty. Uncertainty bring, does not breed confidence. Do you feel like, and this is hard to say, it's especially hard for me this year because I'm not in the locker room. Little as even that being around as a reporter gives you only a tiny little peer into uh, to that locker room, but being completely out of it and having to do everything through Zoom, I have no window into it. But watching them play, the team doesn't seem to have negative energy right now. I mean, part of this is because, like I said, I think they're playing some of their best basketball. But do you feel like there's negative energy lingering around? I know a few weeks ago we talked about it being on the cusp but I don't, I don't feel like I've seen that the last few games. No, I mean, I mean yeah, blowouts. Those are celebrations. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm happy for them. I mean, I'm, I think they're on an uptick. Uh, but I'm not going to get crazy until they get more quality wins. And I don't even know what a quality win is anymore. Mm. I mean, if you look on the schedule, they have a quality win against Milwaukee, but I, don't, I didn't think that was a quality win. Why not? Because Milwaukee was playing awful. Uh, you know, they had a chance to beat Dallas. They didn't beat Dallas. So is that a quality loss? I don't know. Mm. Because you don't know because of the home court. Right. A quality win in the past was going down and winning in San Antonio or winning in the Staples Center or winning in Oklahoma City when they had all the boys or winning on the road in Miami or Toronto. Those are quality wins. Uh, I don't, I have not seen a lot of quality wins is guess what I'm saying. Yeah. I've seen wins and I'm happy about that. They seem to stabilize, um, which is good because their schedule is still good to them for the next couple of weeks. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and we're also in that, that time of the season where I don't, the game's, I think, you know, like I always felt the first 20 games and the last 20 games are the key to the season. Middle 40 games, you just try to tread water. You try to stay away from the, the, the big bomb going off. Right. And, I, and that's where we are right now. We're kind of in the middle of the season. And we're getting close to the end where you want to be playing your best basketball. Um, but, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I see this and not only the Denver Nuggets, I see this all over. Right. And that's right. why I'm, I don't know how I should react because I want Denver to be successful, but maybe they have a different plan. Sometimes I think they have a different plan. Hmm. That this year is just an experiment. Let's do the best we can do. And uh, let's build for the next couple of years. Um, you know, their off season was ordinary. And their up and down play has gotten us a little maybe, you know, doubting. We're doubting a little bit. Uh, but the great thing right now, who is playing good basketball in the NBA? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Philadelphia, I think, is playing well, but they got, they got a major injury on their hand right, right now. Um, you know, Utah looks like it's come back to the pack a little bit. Right. The Lakers, okay, they're winning games, but they're, they're not getting any quality wins either. Right. And the Clippers look like they're falling apart. <laughs> you know, the, the team that looks stable is Phoenix. The, the phrase, the phrase, oh, that's true. Phoenix, but maybe that's the one team you could kind of point to right now. Um, the phrase you used in a, sh a previous show was the personality of the season. And I think that is the personality of the season this year is just nobody's playing great. 
Um, you know, Utah had a great run there for a while, but as you mentioned, they've kind of come back to earth. Phoenix has, is on a really great run, but you're right that a lot of teams seem to just be treading water. And I think, you know, I, I go back to that Dallas game, Denver, and this is not to make excuses. I was talking about coaches that, you know, Denver won with seven players last year. They overcame all kinds of different things. But when you hear about a team arriving into Denver at two, three in the morning, and then they have to be at the facility at eight in the morning to do their PCR test. Then they have to be back at the facility to do a one o'clock test. When I just hear stories like that, you're kind of reminded of how fragmented and choppy this season is. Um, and I just wonder if that's what the personality of the season is that all these teams, it's just so hard to catch a rhythm because of all the, unique circumstances to this year unique is a definitely and then as as piggybacked on the and on the bubble right which had whatever you want to call uniqueness to that i mean no one ever wants to do that again i don't think um and and but see for me as a coach you know my coach my mentality as a coach is to win tomorrow and win this year you know i'm you know, I've never been a, a very good coach when I'm in. If someone told me, I don't think I've, I don't even remember ever being in a rebuilding year. You know, I'm, my opportunities have always been going and try to kick butt and be the best you can be. And, you know, the only time in Denver that I ever thought we made a step back and making a trade was when we gave Marcus Camby away. And, and Stan Kroenke told me it had to be done. And I, I trusted it was a business decision that he felt had to be done. So, you know, um, but I, so, you know, I mean, I know we're going to talk about trade deadline, but trade deadline is a time of year that coaches want to get better. You know, they're, they're, they're always trying to get better, but, you know, I, I, I'm an advocate. I think this team needed something almost all year long. They're playing like now that they don't need something. But I think that's an overreaction. I think you got to you got to you got to read this season as as a big picture, not just one little two week set picture. And um, I don't know who's who's out there. I don't know who has the opportunity. And that's where you know personnel people don't tell anybody anything anymore. Right, right. I mean, what you read in the papers, are, a lot of it is just fake news and gossip and lies. A- agents trying to make it sound like this or that or exactly yeah. that's all it is yeah and um, all of a sudden your mind is scrambled with all this yeah. information right. that means nothing right now uh, i don't know you know so you don't know what is available i mean Lon, someone mentioned to me last night would you pick up lonzo ball lonzo ball is pretty good well, let me couch that because I want to get it because Lonzo Ball is one of my favorite players in the league and I want to get your detailed thoughts on him. But I want to I, I, there's a couple little things I want to hit before we get to the trades thing, which is going to be the majority of the show. And the first is, you know, you talked about the first 20 games, last 20 games, and then this middle just being this, you know, LeBron at the all-star break said that he always plays the season in second gear until you get to the all-star break. Then you ratchet it up to third gear. Then the last month it's the fourth gear and then the playoffs and this or that. And you know, so you have a little bit, it sounds a little bit different. You get out of the all-star break, you're still in the middle of the season. This is, right. it almost feels like, okay, now it's a sprint to the playoffs, but it's still not quite a sprint. You still have half a season ahead of you. So just from a physical standpoint, a mental standpoint, where do you think teams should be at this point of the season? Obviously focused on winning, but, but at what gear should they be in? And just what is your approach at this point? Well, I just think, I just think there's so many teams right now that is so, are so young and are experimenting with their roster. I mean, usually there's five, maybe seven teams experimenting with their roster. I look at the, and I, I say there's 15 teams experimenting with their roster. Mm. And I think that's unusual. I think there's so many young players getting minutes that they have not earned. And because of that, you get some lousy basketball. And, you know, I know what personnel people tell you, well, I just want them to play. You got to play. And I go, well, if we're losing 80% of our games, are we teaching them to win or are we teaching them to lose? Right. That, right. That's what scares me first. Yeah. So when you're saying, okay, experiment with your roster, play these guys, don't worry about win, lose, it's not important. 
It is important. Winning is important. But I, I just think, I think right now you have a lot of NBA teams that are lost. Their roster is lost. And they're experimenting. And because of that, the game, the brand, the basketball is plateaued or maybe even sliding down. Mm. Do you think Denver's done this? I mean, that they're playing young players who haven't earned their minutes? Uh, sometimes. Some, uh, I, I don't, I, I think they're, well, what Denver bothers me is the way they, they pile up in roster situations mm. and players that, you know, and then they, they blame it on injuries when they lose. Hmm. And they applaud when they win and the young kids play well. Well, what's the truth? You know, what is the truth? What is your philosophy? And that can be, I think it's like you're placating the fan a little bit rather than, hey, you know, we're, I know they're going to say they're trying to win a championship, but sometimes their front office actions don't look like they're trying to win a championship. Hmm. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I do wonder, I mean, like I, I always say, and you're, you're less impressed with the linear progress that the team has made, but it does seem to me like every year they, they kind of add a little bit and move a little bit closer. And I wonder, there was a, a piece by a guy named Kurt Goldsberry this week where he talked about of all of the All-NBA players from last season, all but two or three of them right now are along the coast. And that's unusual. Even if you go back through history, that the, the number of players rushing towards the coastal markets is increasing. And I just wonder if building a team today in a city like Denver is different than what it was like 15 years ago. It's always been a difficult place to find free agents. It's always been a difficult place for, for trades or this or that, but it seems maybe increasingly so. And perhaps that patience is more of a virtue than it was in years past. What do you think of that? Uh People you can't see it. He doesn't. I can tell he doesn't like it. <laughs> patience, patience is an argument for management. It's not for coaching and and the season at hand. Right. The season at hand is. I mean, Mike Malone wants to win. He wants to win big, and he wants to get a bit further than he got last year. Uh, the coaches feel the same way, and most of the players probably feel the same way. So, uh, the, the patient thing is a rationalization that, yeah, small markets aren't dealt a fair hand. Small markets don't have the, the ability that the, the, whatever you want to call it, the coastal markets or the championship markets or the storage franchises or, or, or teams like, you know, maybe San Antonio or the warm weather Miami, maybe. Didn't. I mean, you have free agents wanting to go to the big boys at buyouts. The buyouts want to go to the big boys. When they're, it's like James Harden. James Harden's not walking in there and say, trade me to Minnesota. You know, he's walking in there and trade, trade me to right. Brooklyn, Brooklyn or New York. Yeah. yeah. So everything is in the small markets are not in it. I honestly think in the next collective bargaining agreement, they got to address this. Because it's easy for the L.A. Lakers and L.A. Clippers and the Knicks in Brooklyn and even probably throw San Antonio and Miami in there, Chicago maybe. It's easy to retool if you do it the right way. Right. It's hard. I mean, Denver, you know, I think, you know what, you know, after my, my, my I got fired, you know, they went, in, they went down the hill. And they've rebuilt it really nice, but it took a long time. And so do you want to go back? You know, just say the, the, the worst thing in the world, Jokic gets hurt. And just say he comes back. I don't want to think negative thoughts, but, and that's the one thing I want to say positive. Jokic is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. And the one thing, when you have a guy like Jokic and LeBron, and I'm going to tell you, there's not many guys like LeBron and Jokic mm -hmm. because they make guys better. And Michael Porter and Jamal Murray and all those other young guys should be, should be going in once a week and saying, thank you, Jokic. Thank you, Joker. Because I know it's easier with you than it would be with other teams. Right. I mean, last night, I, he made five passes last night that were like, whoa. There's only one or two other guys in basketball that saw 
right. that pass. Right. I mean, he's not saying that Stockton like or Steve Nash like. He's amazing. I think he's getting better too at those. I mean, he's always had a great vision, but it seems like his presence as a floor general is really just shining through more and more. I mean, he's more pointing at guys and telling them where to be and this or that. And it, it just sometimes you feel like uh, feel for the game is a skill, and it is, but it seems like a skill he's actually improving on, in my opinion. I think he's feeling more secure in being a leader. Yeah. And being more demanding. Um, uh, I don't know how he's handling the press. I don't know how he's handling. I, I know he likes to be a jokester a little bit, which I think is good. But I mean, I, it'll be interesting if they go through a, a negative spell where they maybe lose four out of five or something like that, how he'll react. Yeah. I mean, I look at the Clippers now. I think, I think the Clippers have been a, a model of bad leadership, yeah. A model of bad leadership, and you know we we say Jokic might not have good leadership, but Paul George doesn't have good leadership. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard doesn't have good leadership. How they ran their team last year didn't have good leadership, right? And they are a frustrated bunch of guys right now that aren't playing very very well. Not necessarily because they don't want to. They've lost the magic a little bit in LA. The Keeping It 1000 podcast with Adam Mondes and George Carl is presented with limited commercial interruption thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app and the presenting sponsor of this show. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog. And you win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Turning $4 into $256. You just pick one of the many teams that are going to be underdogs starting on Friday. And if they hit, you get that enormous payoff. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test. You don't even have to have knowledge, to be honest. It's just fun to gamble. Just bet on the lines. You got a little bit of skin in the game, and then you feel like you're right there at the height watching a championship matchup. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you, though. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. It's safe, secure, reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR, and that's how you get the chance to use four, turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Let's get into the trades, though. And the first question I have for you is just kind of a question of kind of taking me inside the locker room. And, you know, how does the trade deadline affect the locker room? And when does the trade deadline, when do you start to feel as a coach and maybe even as a player, when do you feel the trade deadline on the horizon? Is it months in advance, weeks, the week leading up to the trade deadline? Where, when does you really start to feel it? Oh, man, that's hard. Um, it usually depends upon the makeup of your team. If you're a good team trying to win, get into a championship mode, uh, it doesn't affect you as much. Uh, yeah, And then if you have a veteran team, veterans handle it much better than younger players handle it. So Denver, I think, is a championship contender. But they got a lot of young kids. And I think, I think the one thing, I mean, I think Malone and the front office will manage it well. Uh, because I think 90% of the stuff out there is somewhat, we're just trying to get better. You know, we're not, a, you know, I haven't heard the negative stories on trading Gary Harris or all that stuff. I've heard some of that. Right. But maybe Gary Harris doesn't want to be here. Right. Maybe that's right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's all. Um, I always felt there was the, the, the trade deadline always came before the all-star break. Now it came after the all-star break. Uh, but they always kind of came within a week of each other. And that that kind of messed up the week before and at least a week or two after. Right. Right. And you kind of couldn't get the, the junk out of your locker room if something happened. Unless you made a trade that was, the mellow trade was a celebration. I mean, all these right. guys, 
you know, we're putting up with put, answering all the same questions. And then everybody got their chance to play basketball. And then, right. So it was like a, you know, it was like the sun came out after a cloudy day for 60 days. Right, right. Um, how aware is an NBA locker room about trade rumors? And maybe even how has it evolved now that, you know, back in the day, you might have had five or six people that really knew about trades and, and they would talk about it. But now you hop on Twitter, you see every account talking about Trey. I heard this. I heard that. I, just how much how much are players aware of the conversation going on amongst fans, analysts and all of that with regards to trades? Well, I think you, I think, you know, and if you have kids, you know that social media is only getting bigger. Yeah. And is getting more involved with, you know, I have a 16 year old kid that drives me crazy almost on a daily basis because she's on her Instagram or whatever account. Um, you know, and we, I think we all know if you study the facts that this is not good for the mind, it's brainwashing you and it's right. distracting you and confusing you. Uh, I don't know how many young kids have the ability to shut it down. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you're capable of shutting it down in the NBA. But, to, you know, in the NBA is a Twitter. Yeah. They're, they're known as, a, uh, you know, a, a, a league that likes Twitter. Right. Players like it. Uh, a lot of people want it. And I don't think that's as true for baseball or football. Right. The conversation certainly surrounds it. And Twitter is such an like, emotionally reactive place. You know, team loses. Everybody's saying bad things. Team wins. Everybody's predicting a championship. And it just – those emotions run wild. And it's interesting because this just this week, Jamal Murray had a – I'll read you the quote because I thought it was a really interesting one. Um, this, was, this was after a game earlier this week. He says it's tough. He was asked about why he was struggling out the gate of the All-Star break. He said it's tough. Every day you go to work, you're professional. You show up. You lock in. You go on the court. And you get judged by millions and millions of people that are fans and not fans and all that stuff. And sometimes I feel like it affects us as players. It's a lot on your mental to deal with every day, doubters, haters, not playing well, all that. And it was a really candid moment from him. And he went on to talk about how he had to lock back in and it kind of got, he kind of maybe, maybe lost a little focus, but he also talked about losing some love for the game. And I wonder if, you know, we talk about social media players, usually you get to go play in an arena and there's 17,000 fans cheering for you. And you're reminded that fans mostly like you. And the haters, they're here or there. They'll boo you here or somebody call you names. But most local fans are cheering for you. And I wonder if you take that away, as has happened this year, all that's left is Twitter saying, hey, you should shoot less or you should make your shots or you should do this. And I wonder if it's if you feel like maybe that could be having an effect on players where they're only getting the negative experience from fans. They're not getting any of the positive experience. I agree. I'm 100% believing the, fan, the, the fans not being in the building have created a lot of the uncertainty and, and the confusion of, uh, of what we're going through right now. Uh, I mean, just last year, and, and now it's only been nine of this year, but it's, yeah, you got to put last year in there too. Right. Uh, so I, I just think that in the end, uh, you know, I would just try to recommend the players to get off Twitter. I mean, I know they're not going to do it. Um, and mental health is a part of the stress of basketball. I mean, there are guys that can, it doesn't bother them. The criticism doesn't bother them. There are other guys that are motivated by it. There are other guys that are fear are motivated by fear. And then there are guys that are really confident yeah. no matter what happens. Right. But the thing you're talking about is confidence and excellence the one priority of excellence comes with confidence. Hmm. When you're confident in yourself and your challenge, you will, you'll perform better. It's when you're insecure and uncertain is when you don't play well. I wonder if there's going to be a migration off of Twitter for, for athletes. I mean, Jokic isn't on Twitter. You know, he doesn't have social media. And I think it honestly probably serves him well not to be reading the tea leaves nonstop of play, fans' emotional state of mind and their emotional reactions. Um, what about just in the 
I was blown away. There was an article maybe a year ago that talked about how it was, a, it was actually talking about the Warriors. I think Ethan Strauss wrote it. And he said that you would be surprised to find that at halftime of an NBA locker room, all of the players are on their phones at halftime. And I thought this is insane that during the game, they're still even checking their phones to see, check the temperature. When you, I, when you were coaching, you know, I guess in Sacramento more is when social media was taken over a little bit at the end of Denver, but especially, you know, at Sacramento, was that a thing that players were on their phones during games, during halftime? Yeah, we had a discussion about checking your phones in. Wow. You know, that you can't use your phones when you're in the locker room. Um, it's different. You know, I, I don't – the only guy that was really into Twitter when I was here in Denver was JaVale McGee. <laughs> yeah. JaVale was all over it and, like, and was really artistic. Yeah. Did a lot of funny things. For the most part, I think he stayed away from the the angry stuff. Yeah. But, you know, he was more into it for laughter and being the comedian on, on Twitter a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, I think it was in Denver. I finally had one of my assistant coaches make sure he followed. You know, we started following Twitter. I didn't want to do that, but right. it, it, became an, it became a responsibility of the staff to uh, stay on top of those things. The coaches being sent things that are tweeted about the team from local media and things like that. I've heard stories that some some coaches want to report on 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 what's being discussed, even on on social media. Oh, I don't like that noise, so I don't play. I don't get into yeah. that noise very much. I'm I'm on Twitter now just because of podcasting yeah. and staying positive in the game as much as I can. And a little bit of Trump got me pissed off, so I wanted to be on for that. But, uh, you know, Twitter can get ugly. It can, really easily. And uh, why do you want to live in that world? I want to live in a world of happy and positive. It's so true. It's so true. Getting back to the trades here, did you ever get blindsided by a trade? Meaning a trade happened that you had no idea was even on the radar. Oh, <clears throat> I don't think I got I got blindsided in a season, in in the middle of a season. Mm. Um, I remember the year when Seattle signed Jim McElvain and uh, was Craig Elo as free agents. I never saw that coming, mm. and that and that was when Sean Kemp was negotiating a contract, and it blew our locker room up. Right, right. You know, it blew our locker room up, and. Uh, it took a team that went to the NBA finals and created a look, you know, Sean's contract created the hell. Right. But giving Jim Malcolm more money than Sean made, made it really hard. Yeah. So, Do you think I the mean, front that, office... that's, not, that's the only one I recall from a shocking standpoint, I would think in the middle of a season that the organizations are communicating with their coaches on the possibilities of what could happen because, you know, you're going to have about 48 hours to make it work. Right. Right. <laughs> and that kind of brings me to my next question, which is when there's a new player, actually I'll first ask about the player going out the door. You know, if it wasn't a player that wanted to be traded, you know, are you reaching out immediately to uh, are, are players answering that call? If they find out they got traded and coach comes calling, you know, 10 minutes later, are they answering that call? Or is that a, Hey, we just got to give them space. Cause I know this is probably tough on them kind of situation. Well, the tough one was when we made the mellow trade and we had to throw Chauncey in the trade. Mm, yeah. That broke everybody's heart. Broke broke uh, Josh Cronkey's heart. It broke Masai's heart. Broke my heart. Broke. I mean, we, we were hoping to keep Chauncey. But the trade was so advantageous in every other area that we got everything we wanted. The only thing we had to really give up was... Uh, was we had to throw our leader into into the trade. I mean, that team with Chauncey, I think, really, really could have made some waves if if you were able to somehow hold on to him. And then, and this was not before. This is not a trade deadline, but when we made the uh, Allen Iverson trade, you know, I, I was begging for them to keep Andre Miller. Right, right, yeah. And then, and they then they didn't think one. I don't think they loved Andre as much as I did. And I think they wanted AI more than they wanted Andre by far. And um, that was, I was, 
you know, I wasn't blindsided by it. I was trying, I was trying to push it. To, can we do it some other way? Right. Right. Uh, how do you make things easy? For, what's, what's it like a player gets traded to your organization. They fly in and join. What are those early conversations? Like, are you trying to reach out on the phone? How do you make a player feel like, feel comfortable arriving into a new situation? Well, you text and you call and, you know, if you have a, you have a relationship with the agent, you talk to him and maybe you have a relationship with somebody on the other team, a coach on the other team, you might call him and ask him, tell me about him, how, what type of kid is he? Right. What's the, what, 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 what's the best way to get to him? And, um, but there's a lot of exchange of in that period of time of when he comes to your team, you know, yeah. They become the number one priority. If he's going to play for you, right? they become your number one priority for about a week. <laughs> for about a week, and then it's like, just fit in now. Uh, give well, I mean, you know, they get extra love. You know, they get yeah. the coaches come in early, and they work through the offense, and then they work through practice. And then after practice, they go in defensive concepts and getting the terminology down. Uh, it's It's – it's not as hard as probably football, but there, there, there's a lot of terminology and a lot of verbiage and language that we speak in a basketball game that you have to adapt to. I imagine adapting to the Nuggets is more difficult than most teams because they play such an inverted style of basketball. I mean, there's no, oh, I've played with a Jokic before. There are no Jokic's. I mean, he's, he's kind of a one of one. Well, that will last about a week when you realize it's a it's a privilege and a blessing <laughs> to be playing with Jokic. You know, I mean, it makes it easier. I just got done telling you that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, other than LeBron and Chris Paul, who makes their team better than Jokic? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and I think he might be better than Chris Paul. Right, right. Um. All right. So I I was I have a question on my list. Do the Nuggets need to make a trade? You've made that clear. You believe yes. Um. What what do they need just when you look at like a not a player, but just the type of talents that they need to add to the roster? What is what is the most urgent? You know, um, I, I've always felt they're too offensive oriented mm. They're too everybody on their court. A lot of times wants to score. Yeah. So is I mean. That's one thing I liked about Tory Craig. You know, he didn't, I mean, unfortunately, he, he wanted to shoot the ball a little bit too much. He didn't there. But last night's game, I think Fosu did a great job bringing defensive energy, kind of, an, kind of a win energy to the game. Yeah. And I think he's done that a few other times this year. That type of guy uh, that doesn't have to necessarily score but has an impact on the game uh, by, by whatever, defense or steals, uh, winning basketball, um, can that help guys play better? So, you know, most of that comes a little bit from a point guard play. So is there a veteran point guard that could come in here and understand his role and lift this team up? Uh, their bench has been playing well. Barton and some others bounce back playing mm -hmm. at a high level. Good stuff. Right. And I think adding another positive guy to winning basketball. Um, they're shooting the ball really well right now. There are times this year where I didn't think they shot the ball very well. But they, they are shooting the ball right now at a high, high level. To your point, they're the number two offense, I believe, right now in the NBA behind Brooklyn, who's it's kind of a unique example. Um, and then they're, I think, the number 13 defense. So that's climbed up. I think they started the season 28th or 29th. So slowly but surely climbing up to average. Um, we'll see if they can go any higher. You didn't mention a position there. And it, it's interesting to me because the small forward position to me just seems like the one where they need some length. So the size, not even small forward, just a wing. I guess to, in today's NBA, it's you know, the positions can be fluid, but to me, it seems like they just need size on the wing, long, strong guys that could play defense. And they don't really have a lot of that. They have forwards, they have guards and nothing in between. Um, which is why when I start looking at the list of players, you know, Aaron Gordon is the biggest name out there. I mean, he's the, 
maybe the highest pick, you know, former pick and, and highest paid guy that seems like he's going to move. Do you like Aaron Gordon as a player? Do you feel like he fits in Denver? Yes. It's a little bit of a big contract, a little bit of a guy that's going to demand a big, big number of minutes. But, you know, Aaron Gordon, people don't remember, he was a great, not good, but great defensive player in college. Right. Arizona won that year because of his defense. Now, I think he's underachieved a little bit in the league. I think he's underperformed a little bit in the league. But I still think he's a very young and very talented kid. That, uh, but, again, um, and I think he would fit with Jokic. I think Jokic would make him better, make him more confident. He makes everybody else better, so I think he'd make him better. And I, yeah, someone mentioned Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon, I think, would be good, too. An established big-time shooter. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I, I would say yes to that. I mean, from what I, what I know about Aaron Gordon, I think he would fit here really well. I wonder just about athleticism along around Jokic too, because I think the Nuggets have been somewhat unathletic in the Jokic era. You know, I don't know if they've had a combination of really springy guys. And I think Michael Porter is, is bouncy. It's a unique type of athleticism. He's not really strong, so it doesn't always get leveraged, but he is long and, and, and can move. Aaron Gordon, I, I just wonder if there's a compounding effect. If you give Jokic two elite athletes that could play above the rim and are long and, and can slash, if that has an increased effect, not even forget the talent, just the athleticism alone maybe makes them more dynamic on the offensive end. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the length that you're talking about, I think in today's, the way the game of basketball is being played today, length is so important at the defensive end of the court. Yeah. Because you're late, you gotta be, you're late in challenges, your length still can bother a shot. Uh, length can get on, you can get better ball pressure with length. There's so many things at the defensive end of the court that length enhances. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's athletic. I think, I think you're right. I mean, Murray is probably a little more athletic than we think he is. Um, you know, yeah, they, they, I, I think it's two, three, uh, Will Barton was probably more athletic when he was younger than he is yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and that, and I think the league is going to athletes. I mean, I, I think Charlotte last night, I mean, Denver was bigger in every position except the point guard position. Right. I mean, they were longer and more athletic and Charlotte's having a great year. Yeah. They're playing the basketball fast. Uh, they're conceding size. It has no problem with them. They know they're going to probably lose the rebounding game mostly almost every night. And But they're playing well. And, and uh, LaMelo Ball is really going to be a good player. What do you think of Harrison Barnes for a fit as a player and as a fit in Denver? I mean, he's another small forward, long, long player. Well, <clears throat> Anytime you can add a Tar Heel, it's only going to make you better. <laughs> Biased question here, yeah. I think I think he would be good. I, I don't know if he's. I th I think he would fit because he would understand how to fit into a championship team, uh, being on a championship type team. Right. And I think he's expensive, but uh, again, I I think there I think the management's got to make that decision. Do they want to go pay the tax? Right. You know, I know that's never been a big thing for the Cronkies in the past, but would they would they go into the tax to pick up a player like that? Yeah. If you had to pick Aaron Gordon or Harrison Barnes, who do you think raises Denver's ceiling more? I I would probably pick Aaron Gordon. I mean, I, I mean, Harrison Barnes is a guy I think you do it if you think you win it this year. Aaron Gordon could help you win it this year. And he also could be a building block for the next five years. Yeah, he's just now in his prime. I think he's 27 years old. So he is a guy that you think, yeah, you get a very athletic version of him for years to come. Um, Lonzo Ball, you mentioned him earlier. One of my favorite players. I've been very – everybody knows this that li that's listening to the show knows. I'm a huge Lonzo Ball fan because I like players with vision and feel and, and IQ, and I think he has all those things. What do you think of him as a fit in Denver 
all all of the things that come with him. Um, I see a, a guy maturing a little bit. I, I, I his first couple of years, he bothered me with his body language and his coolness and his California mm-hmm. cockiness. Um, but I think he's matured, and he he, he has vision. Um, uh, he has the ability. He's a great rebounder, and he makes guys better. And he's big. He's six four, six five, maybe six six. Uh, I think I, I think he's going to have a his next team where he's with could be the team he goes he goes wild. He, he grows up totally. He has some shortcomings in his game as well. I mean, he's a unique player who has unique strengths and unique weaknesses. Do you feel like his game would mesh well with? Jokic and and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter. I mean, do you feel like he fits into that equation nicely? I would think so because I think he understands cutting. I think he understands his size. You can throw over the top of the little guards. Yeah. Um, so offensively, I don't think he'd have any problem. Defensively, he's getting a little tougher. He's a little soft, mm. but I think you know he's getting he's liking his body a little bit more. Um. And I think he understands that, you know, that, that is an area he, he can be a good defender. I've actually heard people say he is a good defender. I, I haven't, I don't want to give him good yet, but uh, I think he has talent in that area and a big guard. I love big guards. I love big guards to know how to play point. I mean, I, I've been searching for Nate McMillan for the last 25 years. <laughs> what about Dozier? Do you consider him a big guard? In that vein, yeah, I like those, but I again, I, I want. I mean, do they like those? You know, I mean, I mean <laughs> they brought in that power so yeah, Maybe you know? not. Okay, we got Gary Harris, Will Barton, Dozier. We got Monte Morris, and who the hell is playing? Well, let me ask you that. How would you prioritize all those guys? I mean, I think Murray's probably at the top. I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't at the top for you but I don't want to say, how would you prioritize Denver's guards? Oof. I put Murray first. There's no one even, cl- I don't think that's even close. Right. You know? uh, a mentally strong Will Barton. Yeah. I like, I like, I like Will Barton's game a lot more than people think I do, but I don't like an unhappy Will Barton. Right. Right. Um, and the guy that I like I, that would go on that, I think, I think the next three guys on the list are kind of changed weekly, but today I like Fosu. Yeah. I like him more and more because he gives us different things. Mm. He gives us energy. He gives us this funny guy, happy guy out there. He looks like he's picking everybody up and lifting them. Everybody loves him. This was a comment after the game that I think I can't remember if it's Michael Green or Michael Porter Jr. said, yeah, everybody in the locker room loves Faku. Now, if I had a veteran player, I don't know if I like Faku as much, but if it's between Monte Morris and Faku, it's close. I like mm. Monte Morris too. What I don't like is both of them. <laughs> I don't like both of them because they beat each other up. Yeah. Man. Um, and after that, Gary Harris would be on the bottom because I, I just don't know who Gary Harris is anymore. Mm. And Dozier, I, that's what, again, Dozier, I think is good, but I don't, I don't know where he fits. Right. So, yeah, open up a window where he fit, maybe I can feel like he fits a little better. And again, Adam, this is what they've done for the last three years. <laughs> Uh, the last thing I have for you here before we get to a quick little thing on just on Linus Clayza, who was a bit of a fan favorite, I think, for a while here. Before that, I just want to ask about Michael Porter and just where you feel he is in his integration into the team, his confidence level, and also just how you think if the Nuggets are in their development of him, are they using him differently over recent weeks, in your opinion? Are, you, are there things you're seeing that are allowing him to grow as a player and grow in, onto this roster? Well, to me, he looks like he's being more patient with his game. Yeah. I think he feels like he's more comfortable that he's going to play 25 every minute, every game. Adam, I might lose him. My, my computer's at 5%. So 
Um, but yeah, I think he's more patient with his game. Someone's gotten to him that he can impact the game differently. His rebounding. He's actually made some good defensive plays. Um, his body language still drives me crazy. Yeah. And his shot selection at times still drives me crazy. He's going to play on a team. Murray and Jokic aren't going anywhere. Right. So he's got been dealt a hand that you can't take bad shots with these two guys. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he is a guy that's going to have to learn shot selection somehow, some way, but it's getting better. But there are times that, you know, he takes, he took some shots early in the first quarter last night. I was going, Whoa, Whoa. He's acting like a rookie again. Right. But then he settled in and had a great game. You think some players are more expressive. There's facial expressions. I, I wonder about this because you're right. The body language is rough with him, but I wonder if he's a guy that it's hard for, he's just an expressive face. Well, the body language cre- cre- creates an ability, an ability to be a good leader. Yeah. If you have bad body language, you can't lead. Yeah. Because it's your actions that lead. It's not your verbiage that leads. It's your actions that lead. So, yeah, there are a lot of guys like that. There are a lot of guys that don't want to be a leader, and a lot of guys just want to score points. You're, you're talking about the body language. I think Damian Lillard is the best in the league at this. If you watch him, he just rarely looks expressive. He does a really good job of, of – you can't tell what his emotion is. And then sometimes after a game, he'll come out, and you'll be like, oh, wow, he was fiery. But he just does a good job of really controlling his outward appearance. Yeah, I think someone told me in pro ball that you want to have a face. Larry Bird had a face of an assassin. You know, he, he could be killing you. It doesn't make him happy. Right. It doesn't make him sad. <laughs> you can be you can be killing him. He doesn't get happy. He doesn't get sad. He's an yeah. assassin. Yeah. I like those guys. And Lillard has that. I agree with that. Yeah, Lillard has it. Uh, I, th- I think Michael didn't necessarily have it. He, too, was an assassin. But you could kind of tell that he was enjoying uh I think he enjoyed killing people. No, he uh, he liked uh, making you miserable. He liked it. <laughs> he, yeah. and, and his trash talking was all, all a little bit there, too. <laughs> well, Coach, this was a really good episode. We'll have to save Clayza for another day if uh, we're, we're running out of battery here. But this was a good episode. But next time we talk, um, the Nuggets, the trade deadline will have passed already. And I've got to say, we've talked about, or I've talked about with, with Brett, uh, about doing a live show at the DNVR bar. I think the next episode we do should be a live show um, with, with audience asking questions. And, and, and I think it'd be really fun. What do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let's get it done. I got we'll, my shots. You can keep an eye out for that, everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>